Hi everyone, this is Jeff White, co-host of The Cooler Ring. One of the things you'll notice about this episode is that it seems to end rather abruptly. We didn't have an opportunity to truly say goodbye to our guests the way we normally would. That's as a result of our podcasting platform, or should I say our previous podcasting platform, Zencaster, which had some issues as we were recording this episode and we were unable to finish it the way we wanted to. However, the interview is still very complete, and there's lots to be learned here from our guest, Lisa Butters at Honeywell, and I do hope that you enjoy the episode. So without further ado, here we go. You're listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jeff, and I noticed that in the intro, uh, sometimes you'll say, brought to you by Cooler Partners, an agency made for manufacturers, and other times you skip that part of the intro. I, I'm very uh, I dynamic you're kind of this. A-B testing this. <laughs> uh, it's kind of conversion optimization of, of the podcast we intro. do, yeah. Um, look, I'm, I, I think... Uh, I, I I just love today's episode. I, I love um, when we uh, get to chat with somebody who's just completely breaking new ground in a space and just kind of um, doesn't seem to really care about how things used to be done. Yeah, disrupting <laughs> it in almost every possible fashion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I guess that's a pretty good buildup. Let's introduce yeah, today's guest. For sure. Going. So joining us today is Lisa Butters. Lisa is the general manager of GoDirectTrade, which is a Honeywell company. Uh, Lisa, welcome to The Cooler Ring. Why don't you tell us about yourself and uh, and what you're doing with GoDirect? Yeah, sure. So as you guys mentioned, I'm Lisa Butters, the general manager of GoDirect Trade. GoDirect Trade is an online marketplace that's powered by Honeywell. So Honeywell, for those of you who don't know the Honeywell name, uh, we're actually a Fortune 100 company. We've been in business for over 100 years. Um, we have a really rich legacy of innovation and industrial manufacturing, aerospace background, and what's really cool is have this 100-year-old legacy company that is trying to really spearhead, spearhead innovation, and we have a software startup. So I run Trade, which is a software startup inside the Honeywell Four Walls. And what it is, it's an online marketplace for used aerospace parts. And what's really interesting about this marketplace is that used aerospace parts, it's about a $4 billion industry every year, and almost none of it is actually done online. And the majority of all transactions are done in the really antiquated fashion of emails and phone calls. As a matter of fact, if you're familiar with what the used car industry looked like 15 years ago, that is exactly what used aerospace parts looks like today. It's very much relationship-based. You know, come into the dealership, I'll make you a deal. Nothing is transparent, right, until you're really working with somebody. Price isn't something that's published. And that's exactly what we're dealing with today. Our online marketplace is looking to change all that. We're trying to, you know, bring the buyer expectation, which, you know, for you and I, we wake up every morning, we probably buy something from Amazon before we have a cup of coffee. Um, but for for multitude of different reasons in this industry, people don't have that same expectation. They're okay, so to speak, with buying their parts via emails and phone calls. And we're trying to change all that. It, um, man, and, uh, and I... 
there's there's so much so so many areas to kind of unpack here. Uh, Let's start no, with how terrifying it is that it used to be like used cars for planes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and in large large part still is, and we depend on these as yeah. consumers. Um, so, uh, I guess um. First off, we have a four billion dollar industry. Almost none of it transacted online, and um, and I'm guessing there's a good percentage of people that say that there's a reason for that, and um, and people are never going to buy this stuff online. I mean, that had to be its er- the earliest objection to yep. any of this. Yeah. And, and and so, did you just have to approach that from the point of view of it's either religion and you believe it or don't, or what? I think it's it's one of those things I believe will be a slow roll until you reach a tipping point, and then the whole industry will feel compelled to move into the digital channel. And I think it's very much like what you saw with Amazon in the late 1990s. So when the internet first came to be, and you started with e-commerce, you had a lot of you know microsites, people trying to sell things online, and then you had you know the advent of Amazon and this whole concept of a marketplace and trying to bring those buyers and sellers together in a centralized institutional way. And what you saw was that you had a lot of sellers that really stayed with the whole brick and mortar mentality. They didn't really feel compelled or see the need to digitize their operations, right? To take um, pictures of their products, to price their product, and then to put it online for people to sell within a global marketplace. And then, you know, as Amazon kind of snowballed, that's when you really see all the sellers they, it's FOMO. It's the fear of missing out, right? If Now, if you're not on the digital channel, 100%, you're going to get left behind in the world of consumerism today. And that is exactly what, you know, our startup is facing today, but in the used aerospace parts industry, you have many sellers that are highly successful, right? They're very successful selling things with a phone, right? With a fax machine and with making trades and with, you know, trying to find a buyer and, and right now, they're not in this place where they feel like, hey, if I don't launch an e-commerce store and go direct trade, if I don't start selling in the digital, in the digital channel, I don't feel like I'm going to get left behind because I'm really successful in doing it the way I am today. And I think that for a go direct trade, bringing more and more storefronts into our marketplace, getting more product out there, and then having the buyers come in and purchase through the digital channel. Once we reach this tipping point, you know, let's call it 100 storefronts. Um, I'm just kind of making it up because it's really not about storefronts. It's really about bringing the right product to bear in the marketplace. But once you reach that critical mass of enough sellers selling digitally and enough buyers buying through the e-commerce channel, you reach that tipping point and then all the sellers that were not participating in the digital channel, they will feel like they are missing out and they will get left behind. And so we are trying to win over sellers one by one until we reach that tipping point where sellers feel compelled to sell through the channel. So Lisa, I mean, look, you're, you are convincing and you're convincing me. Um, <laughs> but uh, Honeywell had to decide to invest in this uh, and, and probably somewhat significantly. Um, ha- has that been a bit on the power of your uh, uh, persuasiveness and influence? Or um, I, I guess I'm just curious, uh, or did the, the people that were skeptical of online adoption and purchase of aerospace parts, I mean, how do we get over that objection? Yeah, I think so. I think the the real question is, why does Honeywell care? Right. Like, why does Honeywell as a you know, 40 billion dollar Fortune 100 company, why do they care about opening up a marketplace for used aerospace parts? And, you know, the answer 
you know, when people ask me that question, it really boils down to the fact that we see a significant customer problem. And the customer problem that we see is that you have a highly inefficient industry that's living in antiquated times. And with our software background and our, you know, aspirations and our, you know, you know, frankly, our crusade and we're doing it right. We're becoming a software industrial tech company, you know, that blended with the fact that we see a major customer problem. Honeywell is like, why not? Right. Because we believe that at the end of the day, someone's going to solve this problem. And if somebody is able to figure out how to create an aerospace marketplace and become the center of all aerospace related transactions, there's a lot of power in that position. Um, and Honeywell, you know, believes that we can solve the problem and we want to be at the center of all of these aerospace transactions. All right. I, uh, and as I look at go direct trade, um, well, the, I'm going to say uh, this was, this was a number of weeks ago now. And even as people are listening to this, because it'll be in 2020. Um, but, um, uh, it was just uh, before the Thanksgiving holiday. I was on LinkedIn, uh, and uh, we're connected on LinkedIn. And I, I see that um, uh, you know, in a world where people are questioning whether or not uh, e-commerce and B two B is going to be a real thing, you're promoting, I think, an additional yep. forty thousand SKUs right. on a Black Friday sale for Go Direct Trade, um, and. I go on the site now and it's 12 days of Christmas, 12 days of TFE goodness. We've got turbofan engines. Yeah. Uh, Falling Santa right. sleigh. <laughs> exactly. It's awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how B2B experiences being more like B2C or what have you. And it, um, it, it, it seems like you've moved way past that argument. We're trying. I mean, I think... Everyone is so used to this concept of B2C. I mean, you and I, we purchase things online every day. And that consumer experience online, like I would say it's it's far easier to design for a consumer experience than it is to design for a B2B experience. And the reason why is that when it comes to a business-to-business transaction, there are so many more complex things that occur inside of that transaction than when you and I buy something on you know, Etsy.com with a credit card. When it comes to B2B, you still have companies that pay with really antiquated ways, like paying with a purchase order. You still have the need for companies to be able to map to multiple build to codes and ship to codes and sold to codes. You have global companies that have taxation across you know, 100 different countries. That's where the complexities really start occurring for these B2B transactions. For us, the key is really figuring out how to, ha- you know, how to understand the consumer experience but then take that consumer experience and overlay it and try to mask all the complexities that you have to really design for in a B2B transaction. And so while it may seem like, hey, you know, within GoDirectTrade, you know, it really is a B2B marketplace, but, you know, we're trying to bring in that consumer experience every single day. Like we just had a sprint that went live. We're still trying to design for making an easy consumer like experience within our marketplace. I mean, there's still so much work to be done in this space, even though, yes, I think we've come pretty far in trying to design for a good consumer experience on our B2B marketplace, but still a lot way for us to to go with that. I think, too, it, you know, I let, let's rewind a little bit. So you, you've convinced the powers that be that, at Honeywell that this is a, an important and, and essential place to be, and you've started to convince 
um, sellers to get on board. But yeah, tell us about bringing it to life kind of between those two points. So you, you know, you got the go ahead and now you have to build this big e-com platform. And as a, as a UX and software geek, I, I think there's some really interesting decisions that had to be made along the way about how you built it. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah. When we first, well, the decision was first made by Honeywell probably back in March of 2018 um, to say, hey, we're interested in doing something within the used space. And what was really interesting is I took over as a general, there was no site or anything like that, but I took over as a general manager in April. And when I first got into the job, like on day one, I, the idea that they had really come up with from the powers that be was to create kind of like a, a listing service. Um, almost, It was actually very similar to what all the competitors were doing today. And they weren't going to make pictures um, required. They weren't going to make product images required. And so honestly, the first decision I made as the GM on day one was, no, screw that. Like we're going to, if you, if we do that, we're going to be just like all the competitors out there, which is like a Craigslist, but without pricing pictures. And really, that's when we made that decision to say, we're going to be more like a blend between Amazon and Etsy. We're going to be like Etsy in that we're going to let storefronts launch and have all of their listings and bring in their, you know, the, the branding and all that they want within their own storefront. And we're going to be like an Amazon in that we're going to be an incredibly easy consumer-like experience. And we will never let anybody list without price, product images, and quality paperwork. Because without that level of transparency, you can never have e-commerce. People will never check out unless you have the right level of transparency where they feel comfortable enough to check out. And that's really where that whole, like our entire strategy and business model was really decided the really like the first week that I started. And then from there, it just kind of took off. We actually did our first minimum viable product. It took us about 14 weeks um, to build our first MVP one. And then we launched um, on December 18th. So actually, it's it's kind of funny that you and I are we're doing this podcast because today is our first birthday. So like outside of this office, like this little cubicle that I'm hunched over at right now in the dark because our light's broken, <laughs> um, we have like streamers and like we brought in a cake and we have this huge banner because we're celebrating our first birthday today. That's very cool. fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll let you uh, get off the podcast very, very soon here so you can get back to the champagne. <laughs> But I mean, our MVP one, when we went live in that, you know, that three month period, it was a very um, like scrappy marketplace. I mean, we were trying to really beta test like a checkout process, a listing process, a storefront process, just trying to get people to check out. And then since then, we work on three week sprints. And I mean, it's we're celebrating our first birthday today, but we've already revamped checkout twice. It's a completely different experience. Um, we've done so much development over the course of the year, but yeah, to really get to our MVP one and launch the entire world, it took us about, about three months. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. How many people are we talking about? Who's working on this? How many for 14 to get this done in 14 weeks? 
Yeah, we have. So in typical startup fashion, uh, we have a really small um, kind of core startup team. Our core startup team is about six people inside of Honeywell, but we have a lot of people that they don't work 100% on our startup, but they may, for example, like we have a patent attorney. So our patent attorney doesn't, you know, come and sit with us at the table every day, but, you know, the benefits of being inside a mother Honeywell type structure is now you have access to, you know, legal, you have access to a lot of advertising people, a lot of press release people, things like that. Um, And then our development team outside of our five core people, we have about eight people on our development team that develop on our marketplace. But we are a very tight-knit startup group. Ah, there you go. That's so, making a bit more sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that you know, that's a that's a good size for pulling together an MVP of of something where a lot of the, you know, you're you're pulling inspiration from a number of quarters, mm. you know, in order to be able to uh, to complete something that quickly. That's really interesting. How um, you're talking about sprints and obviously, uh, you know. Um, agile and, and all of those things are, are near and dear to our hearts. But uh, was that a was that something that Honeywell was already familiar with in terms of working in that agile way? Yeah, very. Actually, it, it's interesting because Honeywell, I actually came from IT. So I'm a tech geek, just like you guys. I used to design um, and code and program and database engineering. And really, when I came into IT, about 15 years ago, everything was more waterfall. You know, it's, it was kind of the old archaic way of looking at things. And some of the projects at Honeywell are still done in that waterfall type fashion. But more and more projects, including GoDirectTrade, and a lot of the things that you would see in our software development, they all run on Agile. Just because it, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? And it's it's flexible, it's fast, it's exactly what we need in today's world. At, um we're going to bounce around all over the place on this podcast. <laughs> like, I think we're like, we, we, Ooh, we, yeah. How did, how, how did it get built? Talk to us about the, the consumer versus B2B. I mean, there's just so many different things that you could do, go here. But uh, I think um, it, 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 it occurs to me that you've really honed in on the notion of trust, however, with the platform and um, knowing that aerospace parts um, have to be, at least in some parts, sold on transparency and trust. Um, you've done more than just uh, ensuring photography and price uh, publish, uh, prices are published. What, what else have you done? Yeah, so in my opinion, um, when you really look at the root of the problem, so the problem statement for me inside of this marketplace is, why are consumers not checking out online, right? Why are they still using email and phone calls to you know, execute on an aerospace, a used aerospace part transaction? And we really took a look at the problem statement. It really all boils down to trust, what you mentioned you know, before. The parts have to be safe enough to, fl- to put back into an aircraft, right? To, to fly people from point A to point B. And on top of that, the parts are expensive. We have parts listed for sale on GoDirectTrade all the way from, you know, a dollar to multi-million dollar engines. And our average order on GoDirectTrade is about $10,000. So these are high dollar type orders that people really just don't feel all that comfortable putting, you know, a $20,000 part in their cart and then just kind of checking out online, right? And so for us, trust was a big deal. And what's interesting is that Blockchain technology about a year ago kind of came across my desk and it was something that I really was not all that familiar with. But the only thing I really understood about it was that it was a technology um, that manufactures trust between you know two parties. And I kind of thought, you know what? That sounds exactly what 
you know, what we're trying to solve for. We're trying to figure out how to take this big boulder of mistrust and chip away at it so that people feel comfortable enough to check out online. And a year ago was when we started kind of investigate and research it, all starting from that customer problem of, you know, how do we get more trust into the transaction in a digital way? And, you know, fast forward one year later, and I mean, I probably spent 30% of my time with our blockchain advanced tech team trying to build applications, expand our blockchain ecosystem so that we can bring more trust into our marketplace. And we use blockchain heavily every day within our marketplace. The way that we use it is if you're familiar with Carfax, so Carfax is something that when people buy used cars, it gives them as much information about a car as possible, like previous owners, um, maybe it was purchased in a cold weather state and people don't like the fact that the engine was exposed to so much snow. We do the same exact thing for serialized parts inside of GoDirect Trade that are for sale, except we use it using blockchain technology. The way we use blockchain is it's a highly secure way to kind of crowdsource information in a database. And we use the technology to try to get as much information about serialized parts as possible. Previous owners, maybe the repair shop that it just came from to get a repair or an overhaul on that part. Um, but we believe that bringing that information to the consumer and giving them as much information as possible that is going to help make more efficient decision-making on the part of the buyer. They're going to like that, right? If you have two parts for sale, they're the exact same part number, but maybe one was, you know, just came off of an American Airlines plane, right? And got listed for sale. And one came from some obscure buyer and I don't know, I'm making it up like Russia, you know, you're going to probably pick the part that came from American Airlines, right? If, if all things held equal, just because it feels safer, you feel more trust in that, in that transaction, because of knowing more about the part and where it came from. And that's really how we're trying to build trust um, digitally inside of our marketplace with each transaction. And it was that, uh, was the blockchain technology kind of enabled that launch or is that something that you kind of iterated on after the MVP? We iterated on after the MVP. So when we went live with our MVP, we did have some semblance of blockchain technology working within the marketplace, um, but, Week after week after week, and you know, fast forward the year to we are now, blockchain is just highly ingrained inside of our entire marketplace. Like, for example, anything something happens within the marketplace. So, if a seller lists a product for sale, that gets written to our ledger, to the blockchain ledger. Every time a sale is made, it gets written to the ledger. Um, when repair shops that kind of participate with us on the ecosystem, if they repair parts, that gets written to our ledger. And ultimately, the reason why we care about all of these events getting captured inside of the blockchain ledger is because it will manifest itself inside of our marketplace. So when you ultimately go and you look for a part, a serialized part, and you're trying to figure out more about it, the listing information inside of GoDirect Trade, um, it'll show the kind of like the part pedigree information, and that's all powered using blockchain technology. The thing that's awesome about that is that as you go forward and you know fast forward five, six, ten years from now, the fact that you have stored and kept all of this data and information is actually going to make aerospace safer for everyone. It will. It is so, I'm telling you this, and we could talk about blockchain as a completely different subject, but that's really why it's so important now for this really kind of fragile infantile technology inside of aerospace. I consider infantile blockchain within aerospace as an industry, but we have to lay the groundwork now. So that's why it's so very important for us to, for Honeywell, to really have this, you know, 
pioneering, crusading type mentality to get more and more companies, more and more repair shops, more and more um, aircraft OEMs using the technology, participating in providing information about parts so that it can feed into the ledger. And 10, 15 years from now, you have this ecosystem that naturally will start collecting data about parts and start storing the part pedigree data for other applications and other people to start using this. GoDirectTrade as a marketplace, we happen to be one application that is using this um, data. What, what it's going to look like in 10 to 15 years is you're going to have a bunch of applications, you know, running off of that part pedigree platform data. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. And um, I, I, I mean, I, I just can't, I, I, I've got to think that when you began to introduce this into the platform, even within this first year, you must've seen an uptick in transactions at that point. And um, just as as those more visible signs of why you can believe in the platform become more. Yeah. Visible. I mean, we've seen our growth in transactions month over month. Um, and I think this is really where startups, you know, you're in the first year, you're really just about trying to survive, right? You're trying to survive. You're trying to get legs underneath you. You're trying to, you know, understand, you know, what are the most critical things that you need to work on. But at the same time, you really need to focus on, measuring like your four indicators, whatever they are, to make sure that you're growing at the right rate. And one of the things that we heavily look at every single day is what does our online transaction volume look like? And we've already processed in the first year millions in orders. Next year for 2020, we have like a 5x growth target for most all of our measurements, including online transactions. And, you know, do I think blockchain has something to do with it? I think it does. I think people, it's kind of that inherent you know, thought of, you know, can I trust this site? Can I trust this transaction? I think it's going to play an even bigger part, you know, in the future years as we expand the ecosystem. But I think increasing online transactions will be a combination of not only blockchain, but so much more, right? It's getting the right listings from the sellers. It's getting a bigger buyer base. It's advertising, right? Social media, it's branding. It's a lot of other things too. Jeff and I are just trying to point to each other to see who's going to ask the next question. <laughs> I don't know if we'll edit this out or not. I mean, I think we just leave it in and yeah, let it's our probably fine. Let it's our uh, fine. bumbling about show. But know. I mean, I, I think what you're you know what you're talking about. What's the name of that uh, that manifesto that we have about the flywheel? Oh well, it, it's uh, a flywheel concept. Certainly, is uh, yeah. part of the Jim Collins good to great. Um, yeah, and 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 they talk in that in, in the flywheel. Um, uh, uh, um, a monograph um, about uh, the Amazon's flywheel, basically yeah, uh, being getting the the resellers to set up storefronts, which creates a fear of missing out for people who aren't there, mm-hmm. and then it just self perpetuates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is a playbook that uh, isn't exactly brand new, but it's certainly brand new in its application to aerospace. A hundred percent. I want to. I want to. I know we're we're jumping around a fair bit, but you mentioned that you've uh, redeveloped the checkout process a, a few times since launch. What were the things that you were looking at, and what were you optimizing for as you went through that, and and how were you judging whether or not you had made it better? Yeah, I think. Well, when we first went live, I mean, imagine trying to build an entire marketplace in twelve weeks, right, from like start to finish. The checkout process was. It was a single page, which is good or bad. I mean, some people love the single kind of checkout page, but it was it was so it was just far too complex, like for a checkout. And again, 
you know, I alluded to it before, but the complexities with checkout really have to deal with the fact that many corporations have this concept of, you know, sold to codes, multiple ship to codes, you know, carriers, they can have, um, for example, a company when they check out, like on a B2B transaction, they want to be able to see in the drop down that, hey, I want to check out with DHL for this, FedEx with this, and maybe, you know, UPS with this. You don't really deal with that, right, on Amazon. You just check out and you just, you know, you go on your merry way. But when it comes to company transactions, the complexities of, you know, carrier information, um, your carrier account information, maybe you have multiple bill to addresses that you want to be able to send a PO to or get your invoice at. Those are the kinds of things that inherently make these transactions more complex. And when we first went live, we had this very <laughs> complex kind of, you know, single page checkout and, you know, fast forward to today. And what we've tried to do is take um, concepts from like Target, Walmart, Amazon, Etsy, you know, sites that we love and that we check out on every day and figuring out, okay, what are the most complex things in a B2B checkout transaction? and try to merge those two together so that it's very intuitive for the user to check out. So let me give you one example. Um, like uh, when, a, when a company checks out on our site, and I know this may seem like a no brainer to you, but when they check out on our site, we capture all of their data, like their bill to information, ship to, and their sold to codes, um, and even their credit card if they put in a credit card. And on the next visit, even if they have, say, like 20 ship to addresses that they want stored um, inside of our system, we default everything for them, including even like their carrier account and their shipping notes from the last transaction. So that way, it's just kind of an easier experience for them as they check out. Um, but again, what's really funny is that, you know, like when people listen to this podcast, they kind of think, well, that's like a no brainer, right? I mean, we do that every day. Most things default to what you know, you last checked out with, but I am telling you with most B2B marketplaces, especially within use aerospace, because there really is no concept of a marketplace, it really isn't done today, right? And so, you know, for us, it's it's trying to bring the innovation of a B2B complex transaction and really genuinely making it as easy as a B2C transaction. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Lisa for joining us on The Cooler Ring. I know that we learned a lot about uh, what she was up to within Honeywell and developing an e-commerce business within a legacy manufacturer of the scale that Honeywell is at. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, we didn't have an opportunity to properly say goodbye or thank her for joining us, but I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the episode and that you learned something that you can bring back to your own manufacturing organization. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>